Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all. I'm one of the new associate pastors here at the church. I came the same time Joe uh, did, and so I'm still getting to know a lot of folks and getting to know you. I've been a pastor in the United Methodist Church for 38 years and uh, have served a variety of churches, most recently uh, coming First United Methodist Church. So I came down here a couple of months ago uh, and actually retired. Uh, I was turning uh, 60 last year and began to talk with a friend of mine about some options that I might have and realized after 38 years of ministry, there's some things I liked doing and some things I didn't like doing. And so I wanted my last 5, 10, whatever years to be filled with things I liked doing. And so uh, as I began to kind of look at some options, I had to retire as a United Methodist minister so that I wouldn't be under appointment so somebody wasn't telling me what I had to do. And so I could do what I wanted to. And so I'm here at Roswell part-time, uh, and, and I'm, I'm trying to kind of create a job. Uh, I, I pitched the idea with uh, Tom Davis about working with senior adults, because I'm kind of in that boat. I spent my first 10 years of ministry as a youth minister at a couple of churches, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed being on staff. I enjoyed the relational work with youth. I enjoyed the trips and skiing and going to the beach and hanging out at games and uh, eating and all of those things. So I pitched the idea to Tom about being a youth director for senior adults. And so, uh, so that's what we're doing. So I'm meeting uh, folks in the church, uh, going to Sunday school classes, small groups, primetime singers, a lot of things that are going on in the life of the church, trying to figure out what's the need and hope and how we can come together and kind of create that. And then when we get all that figured out, maybe Jason will have like a flag football, youth and senior adults, two youth group things or some sort of activity or something going. So... Uh, it's a joy to uh, uh, have the chance to come together to be with you today and to share in Chapel Roswell. I was here, uh, I've been in the service a couple of times, but haven't had the chance to meet some of you. So if you're uh, a senior adult, and, and that's a goofy kind of term because I know that we're trying to work with 55 and older folks, or maybe 54 and a half or 53 or wherever you see yourself. So sometimes when you talk to that group, they don't see themselves as senior adults. And so we're looking at boomers and, uh, you know, just trying to figure the whole thing out, what that looks like and the parameters of it. So if that fits you uh, and you'd like to talk with, about that, then come and see me. If that is a, just an area of ministry where you're not in that group, but you have a heart for that group and want to help, then I'd love to talk to you uh, as well. So this morning, I want us to look at this idea of who knows in Luke chapter 12, 13 to 22. But before we get to the passage, I want to uh, open with a story uh, that some of you might be familiar with. The story goes like this. There's a farmer, uh, and uh, he has a horse, and one day the horse escapes, runs out uh, into the woods or fields or far away, and so the neighbors hear about it, and they come to the farmer, and they say, Oh, man, I heard your horse ran away. That stinks. Uh, and uh, it's such bad luck. And so the farmer goes, scratches his head, says, You know, bad luck, good luck, who really knows? And so then the next day, the horse evidently is a very charismatic, friendly horse, 
And so it ran out into the woods and found a whole group of horses uh, that didn't have a home. Uh, and the horse told them about uh, its home. So the horse comes back bringing all the friend horses. Uh, and so the neighbors hear about this and they come back to the farmer and they go, oh my gosh, what good luck. And the farmer again kind of scratches his head, you know, good luck, bad luck. You know, who knows, really? And uh, so then, a few days later, the son of the farmer is trying to uh, ride the horses, uh, some of the new horses, and see which ones are tame and which ones are not. And he gets on a horse that evidently wasn't tame, kicks him off, and breaks his leg. And so again, the neighbors, the neighbors are so friendly. Uh, they come back over and they say, oh man, what bad luck, your son broke his leg. And the farmer says, good luck, bad luck, you know, who really knows? Well, uh, in this uh, time and age uh, that the farmer was living in, uh, wasn't too long before the town uh, was getting threatened by a neighboring town. And so the leaders of the town came and were uh, recruiting or drafting all the young men uh, to, uh, to go into battle and to defend the town. And so they came to the farmer's house and they saw the son with the broken leg. And so they just went to the next house. And the friends came back over and said, oh my gosh, uh, what good luck that your son had a broken leg. And the farmer says, good luck, bad luck, you know, who, who really knows? Uh, and so isn't it that way with, with y'all? It, hadn't it been that way in your life? Sometimes you, the worst thing in the world takes place and happens, and you go, oh, this is horrible. And then a month later, two months later, you find that it, it really wasn't so bad. It turned maybe into a blessing. And sometimes things happen to you that's just so good, you can't believe what good luck you have. And then not too much later, this good luck has become sort of a burden. It's not been all that good. And so really... Who knows? And so uh, our scripture passage this morning uh, is Jesus kind of talking about that. He has a, a, some folks that come to him to, to ask a question, and then it leads into a parable. Uh, and so I want us to get into this and, and look at it. So Luke chapter 12, 13 to 22, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. May God add his blessing to our reading and hearing and understanding of his word. So I'd like to kind of break this up into two parts. Uh, one, uh, Jesus is talking to a guy. It says someone. It's interesting the titles uh, that you have in this passage. So uh, sometimes when Jesus is talking, there's a person, a name. Sometimes they're identified by their town. Sometimes they're identified by their infirmity. Uh, someone who is blind, someone who is sick. In this case, there's just someone. Uh, and then in the second part, there's a certain rich man. And so we'll look at that again in just a minute. But someone reaches out to Jesus and they have a problem. They have a question. They have a, a need. And they're hoping they can take that need to Jesus and Jesus will just solve all their problems. And, uh, and sometimes that's how we go to Jesus as well. Uh, we have this thing that we want Jesus to do for us uh, and, and kind of make everything right. So in this particular situation, the fellow wants Jesus to make his brother uh, act right uh, treat him fairly, uh, do the right thing, uh, be honest. And so uh, that, again, is something that uh, sometimes we, we want Jesus to come and solve that problem. But Jesus says real quickly, I'm not a policeman, I'm not a judge, I'm not an arbitrator, I'm not a uh, mediator, uh, I'm not the principal uh, for this. Uh, and so Jesus really wants uh, these people to sort of look a little deeper than where they're going. The fellow's uh, convinced that this inheritance is going to be the, the best thing in his life. And so he's trying to get his hands on it, trying to figure out how to do that. But Jesus wants to go to kind of a different place. He, he wants to ask this person uh, to think more uh, about who they are than what they have. And he says, if you follow this path of greed, which he calls it, um, you're, you're going to get into trouble, uh, and there's a better path for you to, to head down. So life is not all about things. Life is not all about stuff. Life is not about, all about possessions. Life is not all about this world. And so this is a theme all the way through Jesus' teachings uh, with folks about who he is and, and where, why he's come here and how he's trying to help us out. And so one of the ways I like to think about that is the very first thing that Jesus does uh, when he, he arrives on the scene and begins to preach and teach is he says that I have come uh, to, uh, to preach repentance. And I think sometimes when we read that or we hear that or, or we're told that, that that trips us up a little bit. At least it did me for a long time. Okay, so Jesus doesn't like me, doesn't like what I'm doing. Uh, if I just get everything right, then, then he'll like me better. Uh, and so the, the, the struggle, I think we struggle sometimes with that, that word that uh, we have to repent, which means that Jesus is kind of looking down on us and knows all the terrible things that we're doing. Well, that's not really, that's one way to look at that word, but I don't think that's the, word, the way that Jesus was using it in the context when he announces that I have come uh, to kind of lead you through repentance. And so how I like to think about that is that the word actually, repent, means that somebody is heading in one direction and they turn and go in the opposite direction. And so there is the point at which if we're doing something we really shouldn't be doing, we need to stop doing that and recognize that it's not a good thing to do. But I think in general terms, 
that it's going the wrong direction. And so the, the way I envision that is that as Jesus comes on the scene, he sees everybody kind of doing what this guy is doing. They're pursuing the wrong thing. They're following the culture. They're following the world. They're following whatever you know influences and friends and TV shows and whatever stuff that uh, folks are watching and listening to, and they're just going the wrong way. They're just following the masses. They're just uh, going where somebody else is going, thinking, well, maybe they know something that I don't. And so I have this image of this whole mass of people just headed in this direction. And Jesus back here going, repent. And what he means by that is turn around. You're going the wrong way. You're just headed out in that direction and there's nothing in that direction but turn and follow me. So Jesus puts both of those together. Repent and follow me. So he's trying to tell us that we're pursuing the wrong things. We're headed in the wrong direction. So we see all these things that we like and we want and we think we need, but who knows? Who knows if those things are good luck or bad luck, the right thing or the wrong thing? Uh, sometimes it just depends on a lot of factors. So Jesus has uh, kind of explained this in, in kind of real quick terms in this passage where he says to the, to, to the fellow, you know, be careful of what you pursue and what you want and what you find uh, uh, that, that is, is what you uh, sort of want to chase after. And, and I, I, I mean, you, you have to read between the lines a lot of times when you read in Scripture. At least I do. Like, okay, so what is he thinking? And why does he go into the parable uh, that he does? Well, I think that, that the, the crowd, remember, we start off with someone and then when Jesus talks uh, uh, to him, he changes to the crowd, and he speaks to the whole group. So I, I think Jesus is reading their faces, uh, and he can tell that they, they don't really get it. They're not really following. Okay, if we're, if we're not supposed to chase after those things, then what do we chase after? If life is not about possessions and things and acquired stuff and you know all of that, then, then what is life really about? And so... Jesus says, okay, well, let me put it this way, or let me tell you a story, or let me help you out a little bit, try to figure this out. And so uh, it says that he tells them a parable. And the parable starts, there was a certain rich man. Okay, so we have someone, and then we have a certain rich man. Not, not very descriptive. One of the things we want to know is, it, is it a bad rich man? Is it a good rich man? Was he a lucky rich man? He really didn't know what he was doing. He planted some seeds in the ground and they just grew and, and he was fortunate, but he really didn't know what he was doing. Uh, was he a, a smart uh, rich man? I, we don't really know much about him at all. What we do know is the crop was over the top. Uh, the uh, the uh, harvest was uh, more than he had room to store. And so that's a good thing, right? And his neighbors came and said, oh, what good luck. And instead of saying, well, who knows, he says, yeah, it's great luck. And so now what do I do? And you see that he sort of uh, struggles with that, which is a great question for all of us to struggle with when we have something that blesses us. What do we do with it? 
how much of it is ours? How much of it is, is God's blessing and God's kind of watching to see what we do with it? How much of good fortune is really something that we did? And how much of bad fortune or things that don't go right is really our fault? And so if we dwell on either extreme of that, sometimes we kind of get into a mess. So, so what do you do with the good stuff? Do you save it? Do you store it? Do you hoard it? This is all mine. God's just blessed me. And he, he likes me more than anybody else. Do you share it? Do you lend it? Do you give it away? Do you rent it? That's such a great question to ask with the stuff that we feel blessed with. What do we do with it? What's important to do with it? Do we ask God, God, what do you want me to do with it? I wonder how many of y'all have ever prayed to win the lottery. I have. And I, and I justify it by saying, God, you know, this $450 million. See, the first thing I tell God that I would do with it is some of the churches that I've served, now I think all of the churches that I served still have a good bit of debt. And so I would pay all, all of these churches that I've served, I'd just pay off their debt. And I think to myself, you know, if I'm going to do something so incredibly generous, then God's going to be more generous to me in giving me the right number, right? I mean, isn't that logical? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? That God, so uh, the, the question is, uh, winning the lottery, would that be good luck? Would it be bad luck? Who knows how it would change your life and what it would do. The question that really is going on in the midst of these passages is uh, we don't really know if things are good luck or if they're bad luck. Really, the, the answer is who knows. It, it, it kind of depends on what happens. So what is important and what is Jesus trying to tell us? Well, I think the, that Jesus is trying to tell us it's the whole uh, idea of faith and work. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that, that story and that part and that question to Jesus is in uh, a number of the Gospels. But in Matthew's Gospel, there's something that's said at the end of that uh, uh, greatest commandment uh, that, that's really important, I think, for us to, to hear. And it's in the 22nd chapter, the 40th verse of Matthew. And it says, after it says that statement, that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So it means that that is of utmost importance. And so part of what Jesus is trying to do with this mass of folks uh, chasing everything that's going on in the world, and when he stands and says, turn and repent, and follow me, Jesus is trying to help us see that this is what's most important. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So to receive the love of God and be connected to God, and then live that out on a daily basis. Matthew 6.33 says, if we will do that, seek first the kingdom of God. If we will do that, then everything else 
will fall into place. Everything else. So he goes to the guys looking for the inheritance, and he says, if you'll do this first, this connection with God and with your neighbor, then this inheritance piece will work out. It'll just work out. Don't worry about that. Don't put that at the top of the list of things you're pursuing and driving yourself crazy about. Put God first and that'll work out. Jesus says to the guy with the barn, you know, you're, you're worried about what you're going to do with all your stuff. If you pursue God first, and listen to how God is inviting you to be a neighbor, then the barn stuff will work itself out. So when in a world, in a time, in an age, and a life, where we don't really know if this is good or bad, we do know, we do know that all of the prophets and all of the law hangs on this idea of loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves, You know, and that's, that's at the heart of what we do as we come for communion. You know, one of the, the things that happens for a minister that uh, really doesn't happen for anybody else, and it's too bad, is that when... We uncover the elements when we're serving communion. Uh, there's something cool that happens. When I, when I take the bread and break it, and then usually the uh, cup is covered too, and when I uncover it, there's a sweetness in the bread, and there's a sweetness in the juice that just comes up. I can smell it right now. And I've always thought that... That's sort of a gift from God. Because I hear in that, smell in that, feel in that, that it's God's acceptance, approval, love of us. There's a sweetness in this room that God feels for us. And that's hard for us to grasp. And maybe why we run to stuff instead of God. There's a, it's hard for us to grasp the, the order <laughs> uh, that happens in communion. A lot of times when we receive a gift or ask for a gift or take a gift, uh, we, it's a reward for something we've done. We do something and then we receive a gift. We do something nice to somebody and they do something nice for us. But the communion liturgy says that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us, and that proves God's love for us. So communion, grace, God's love, God's acceptance, uh, God's desire to have us follow him, God's desire to come and live in us is not a result of how good we've been. It's totally dependent on how good God is. And so we recognize when we come for communion that Christ died for us. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And it was a prophecy of what was about to happen to Jesus in the next couple of days. 
And he said, and this cup represents my blood that is poured out for you. Again, not because we have earned something, but because God loves us just like we are. He knows the potential, the opportunity, the grace that he's giving us and leading so that we can receive from God and be all that God has called us to be if we'll follow him and not things. And so we come for communion to recognize that possibility, to say, yes, God, I want to follow you. Yes, sometimes I have chased the wrong things, and I've gotten excited about this thing, and then I've recognized that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, and what I really need is you, not more stuff. And so I pray as we come for communion today that you'll recognize, that we'll recognize, that we'll celebrate and rejoice in the reality of God's love and grace already here in the elements in our relationship with him and his spirit that is at work within us. I know that this morning we all come to communion with different things going on in our heads and our hearts. And I pray that whatever is going on, that God's grace will help you to see his love for you and a path so that that won't be bad luck, but it'll be something that works for good for those of us who love God. Let us pray. God, we pray your blessing over these elements. Uh, not that they're magical or have any superpowers, but that in our humility, in our submission to you and your authority, as we come to receive these elements, we're acknowledging our sin. We're asking you forgiveness. And we're recognizing that your grace is active and present in our lives. God, long before we even knew to come together today to ask for your grace and forgiveness, but that your desire is to move and work within us, in this church, in this service, in our families, in our community, and in our world for your glory. God, we pray these things happen. For it's in Christ's name we pray.